A reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. You were running well, who prevented you from obeying the truth. Such persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. I am confident about you in the Lord that you will not think otherwise. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. But, my friends, why am I still being persecuted if I am still preaching circumcision? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading this morning is from John. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think about uh, this part of Paul's letter to the Galatians, that you would help us to understand it, and understand in particular how we might be persons and a community that inhabits these words and that enacts them. Uh, in our own life, in our own community, in this day and time. So encourage us in Christ, we pray. Uh, convict us in Christ, we pray. And fill us with your spirit that we might live in a way that reflects his love in the world. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. 
So uh, one of the most common questions that I think I'm asked as a pastor, that I encounter as a husband, that I encounter as a dad, that I live with as a friend or a neighbor, or that I live with just personally inside of my own life story, is just very simply this. How do we evaluate our worth? How do I know my value add? How do I understand where I stand, right? I mean, just imagine you walk into any circumstance, any group of people, and you know that feeling of posturing. Have you ever felt that, right? Have you ever experienced posturing? You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're looking as though you have no idea what I'm talking about. Posturing. You know, posturing. It's when you walk into a group of persons that you're not familiar with or perhaps you are familiar with, and you feel this sudden need to foreground certain aspects of your character, certain aspects of your accomplishments, certain uh, things that, you've, that you bring into the room with you that you think are your value add. And you, what do you do immediately as you're foregrounding those things? You are backgrounding other things, right? I'm sort of, I'm sort of putting the, the less... Um, the less important pieces, at least for that group, uh, in the background somewhere, and I'm shoving them back there somewhere in the hopes that what you'll really focus on is whatever it is I've brought into the room with me that I imagine to be my contribution to this group. We struggle with just figuring out our worth our value. I had a letter from someone just this week uh, from outside of our community saying just something, just very simply saying, hey, I need some help finding a, a, a therapist, a counselor, because I recognize that, that my self-image is of such that I deny myself um, certain ambitions or desires. I'm unsure of how to connect with, with desire because I struggle to know who I am. I struggle to know my sense of worth, right? This is just such a very common thing. How do I know that I matter? How do I know that I belong to this group or that group? And it can change, right, from group to group. If you're inside of your nuclear family and you're thinking about your relationship with your mom and your dad, there's certain things that you, you foreground there and there are things that you background there, right? We all have done that and we've all postured, right? Because we want to keep peace. We want the system to keep sort of moving along as it benefits us in some way. Or you walk into a group of colleagues in the workspace, you have a way of sort of adapting to the rules of that workspace. You know what constitutes worth in that space, you, and you wonder where do you fall on the relative scale of worth within that workspace. Maybe it happens to you in the neighborhood. Maybe you go to a Christmas party uh, or uh, any kind of party, and you are immediately sort of Comparing and contrasting, comparing and contrasting in your mind. And often this is happening not in a straightforward way of saying, hey, I think I'm doing this. This sounds problematic to me. Can I get some help? The way that letter was to me, right? Most of the time, this is just sort of running in the background of our imagination. We are just falling into the trap of figuring out where we fall inside of some standard at any given moment. You show up at a conference for work, you visit a new church community, you connect with some new group, and you enter the dance of worthiness. How do I fit in? How do I practice the rules of this community? How do I know if I have a seat at the table? How do I know if I'll get into the room where it happens, right? I mean, you know, just all these things that are going on inside of us. Do I need more education? 
is, my, is my family pedigree the thing that's going to be the problem here in this group of people? What, what do I wear? What clothes do I put on for an interview at a certain kind of place? Do I even know how to code switch? <laughs> Just on and on it goes, right? Um, if you are a member of the academic community in Philadelphia, for example, you may periodically log into or Google, hit Google Scholar, because what? You want to know how often your research has been cited. Or maybe you want to know how often your colleagues' research has been cited relative to your research being cited. And just on and on and on it goes. If you're an author, right? <laughs> Sorry, Corey. If you're an author, you know, maybe you check into to at least the Amazon rankings of your work, right? We want to know where we fall relative to other people. So what I want you to think about this morning, as we think about this particular text, I would really like for each of us to just sort of ask ourselves the question, how do I evaluate my worthiness? What is it for you, you know? Is it your appearance? Is it wealth? Is it education? Is it the pedigree of the schools or the pedigree of your family? And just so on and so forth. What constitutes a sense of worthiness in your life, in the circles that you travel in? In Galatians, the Apostle Paul tells us that in Christ, God has upended the ordinary ways in which human beings create value and capital for themselves. He's upended the ordinary ways, right? Um, life with God is not contingent on your fidelity uh, to the Jewish law on the one hand. And Galatians is a lot about that very problem, right? Because in Galatia, there was the temptation to revert back. And Paul says it's not about that. Um, but then neither is it constituted by all of the jockeying and positioning that we do for, on this other relative value scale that operates in the world at large. It's not about what you've brought into the room this morning. It really is about the gift of Jesus Christ to you, to us, to the world. It's about what God has brought into the room. It's what he's brought into our history. It's not about our value add. It's about his value add to us. So let me highlight a few things out of this particular text that we just read. The first is a question. Let's phrase it as a question. How do I know that I belong to God's future, right? Uh, what Paul describes here as he describes us as having the hope of righteousness that is to come. How do I know I belong to that, right? Paul's answer is verse 5. He says essentially it's by the Spirit that we wait for the hope of righteousness. And I want you to remember that this word righteousness is very often sort of a kind of shorthanded way of talking about the justice and rightness that God is bringing into the world through the promise of his coming kingdom. God promises that one day every human relationship in the, in, in the economy of life will function in a right and just way. That there'll be a, a beauty and a truth that sort of overfloods the spaces of, of our world, of earth, right? And so the question is, how do I know I belong to that world, right? How do I know I'm, I'm a part of that world? How do I know that the world that God wants and he's bringing is a world that I have a place in? 
So here, as Paul starts off in the section that we've read, he says, listen up, right? You know, listen up. You know, this is almost like, I imagine, you know, Stacy has started working with kindergartners again uh, in, a, in a local school system. And so I think of this as, you know, in, in the lens of my dear wife. Stop talking. Listen up. He wants us to pay attention to the things he's about to say. And then he goes on into a pretty curious wordplay around the word circumcision, right? The language of circumcision, right? And as you're reading through this or you're listening to it being read, it would probably be best if you imagine yourself as a junior high boy. Um, and you would certainly sort of be squirming or giggling or something. You'd be in the, in the space between those two things, squirming or giggling, because Paul says, look, if you cut off the foreskin, you're, cutting off, you're cut off from Christ. It's it's the wordplay that's going on. He's playing with words. He's wanting us to sort of imagine this, and he wants us to squirm, and he wants us to laugh, and he wants us to see really the futility of what is going on there in Galatia. And he gets even more radical, right, because as he talks about these teachers, these perpetrators of this sort of reversion back into the Jewish law, he says, look, I, I wish they'd just go the whole way and cut the whole thing off, castrate themselves. All right, are you squirming? Are you laughing? It isn't by the law that we gain assurance that we belong to the future that God is bringing. And Paul wants us to realize that. And he said it over and over and over and over again throughout Galatians. And he's told us that God has done something radically new in Jesus Christ, and here he describes it as just once again the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's by the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's by the gift of God's spirit of adoption that he has brought into your life, the spirit by which you cry out, or by whom you and I cry out, Abba, Father, that is that we identify ourselves and we understand ourselves to be persons brought up, belonging into the very family of God. It's by the Spirit that you know this, he says. Baptism into Christ is a weaving of our complicated life stories, the ups, the downs, the failures, the successes, all of it. The things we foreground, the things that we background, all of it. A weaving of that story, those realities, into the very story of Jesus' own person, who lived, who died, who was raised, and who received the gift of the Spirit and has poured out the gift of the Spirit upon his family, the church. This is All Saints Day. And one of the things that we remember and celebrate on that festival of the church is that we remember that the body of Christ stretches behind us and before us. And it includes all kinds of people that we know, some of whom as you sit in the room this morning and you think of you know, your grandmother or your aunt or your uncle or a dear friend or someone that what loved your life in such a way that you beheld and experienced the truthfulness of the story of Jesus. Our lives are brought alongside of all of those people in our baptism into Christ.
And Paul wants us to understand that it is by the Spirit that we have the hope of this future righteousness. You belong, not because of what you brought into the room, but because of the grace that has come to the room in Jesus himself. Now, the second thing we need to think about in connection with this particular text, I think, is just this. What kind of a community is reflective of life in the Spirit, right? What does that community look like? And really, the, the rest of the, the letter to the Galatians is going to sort of unpack that description of that community. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to just think about what does that community look like? What does love like that look like, right? And so in verse 6 here, Paul begins, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters, but faith working itself out in love. What's the point? All types of people, right, are drawn together in Jesus Christ without respect to all of the things that mark them as different. Here immediately he's thinking about the world that's divided between two types of people, right? The Jewish community that had first heard the truthfulness of who Yahweh was and believed and celebrated and were experiencing the reality of their life with God, right? As a community, as Israel, right? But on the other hand, all of the other people, which includes the most of the rest of us, right, in the room, all of the other people. And what Paul says is that God has brought both together in Jesus Christ. I get to do a lot of weddings. <clears throat> and it's, weddings are fun. We have one coming up next weekend in our community, by the way. And weddings are fun. And one of the things that happens in a wedding, there's that moment when the pastor has sort of asked the vows of the couple and they've taken their vows and then there's that de declaration that they are, in fact, married. And then the pastor says, you know, those whom God has joined, let no one pull asunder, let no one pull apart, right? Think about that part of the vow in the context of what Paul is telling us here. God in Jesus Christ has united the world. Stop pulling it apart. Last week, when Chris was looking at that very strange section in Galatians, you know, I'm out of town on purpose on that weekend, but, you know, Chris had to, was looking at that very interesting sort of reading, right, of how, does, how did Paul think about the story of Abraham and the story of Sarah and, and Hagar, right? And, um, and he said that this really beautiful thing, he said that, you know, basically Paul isn't reading the story in a linear fashion anymore, right? He's, he's not reading from beginning to end. He's reading from the point, from the standpoint of Jesus in both directions. Because Jesus is the great gift that God has brought into the world as the fulfillment, as the fruition of all that he had ever promised. And so as a Christian, what Paul begins to do and what we must do is read from this base, this sort of um, base camp in Jesus Christ in both directions, in our own lives, as we read the Bible, right? And the moment you begin to do that, it opens up these other vistas. And the most interesting vista for Paul in that particular moment of church history is that these two oppositional groups, Jews and Gentiles, are now brought and drawn into one family. And so all of the old ways of sort of defining worthiness and faithfulness, they don't matter anymore. They don't count anymore inside of the church. There's something radically different inside of the church that counts. 
because we're a community that is gathered to Jesus' gift. We're not a community defined by the gifts that we have brought to Jesus. And all the ways that that differentiates us from one another. But we're radically transformed by the way we've been loved. So Paul says here, what does matter? Well, faith working itself through love. And the rest of the text, as you read through it, and really as we read through, as I said, the rest of the, the, the letter to the Galatians unpacks this notion of what does this love look like? What is the body of Christ that loves like this? How is it shaped? What does it look like, right? Um, and, and Paul's going to unpack that as we look in the weeks ahead. For now, just realize this. Not only did Paul understand how the Jewish law worked, right, really, really well. Uh, not only did he understand that and understood how a reversion back could actually destroy that which, was, which God was bringing together, but he also understood how every other human community worked. He was a Roman citizen. He knew the hierarchy of worth and value inside of his world. He saw what happened inside of the empires of his world as power worked in a certain kind of way. Paul knew, uh, for example, that ancient people, the ancient community, valued honor. And the way you attained honor inside of an ancient world or an ancient community is not that different from the way we attain it. You, if you were an academic, you would look on Google Scholar and you would evaluate yourself relative to your colleagues. And you would begin to what? You would foreground the stories that you like about yourself and that promote yourself and you would background the others as your other colleagues were doing what? We're trying to foreground all the things that you background. And so it's interesting here in this particular text, as Paul reflects on this, he warns the church of becoming a community that would devour one another. As we enter that cycle of comparison, of critique, and of condemnation, right? The three C's of any dysfunctional community. Paul understood that honor was related to things like wealth and ancestry and age and education and legal status and economics and physique and character and virtuous action and on and on and on. Honor was discerned and established by comparison, critique, and condemnation. And he warns the church ever so subtly here against dropping into that way of living its life together. Where do I stand? Where do I fall on some scale of worth? Inside of the world, as long as there's some measure of mutual respect, governing the use of all these things, we sort of coast. But the moment mutual respect is eroded, the moment it falls into ruin, what happens? Pride and envy and resentment spawn destruction. Don't Use your freedom in Christ for self-indulgence. Use your freedom in Christ for your neighbor. The antidote that he gives us in this particular text, I think, is that we should create a community that turns hierarchy on its head. It's a world in which whatever relative power or worth you have brought to the community, whatever you brought in with you this morning, however you think about yourself, rather than leveraging that Toward yourself, leverage it toward neighbor. And the language that Paul uses here is provocative because he calls us to mutual slavery of love. Slavery. 
That is not a word. It is not a practice that any of us in this day or anyone historically would ever embrace for themselves. It was only something persons had been subjected to through acts of injustice. But Paul chooses that word. He says, I want you to think about your life together as the body of Christ, as persons that enslave yourself one to another in acts of love. Leverage your relative worth, not toward yourself, but toward your neighbor. It's only in this way that the story of Jesus becomes something that is seen and felt and experienced in our world rather than simply something we like to talk about, right? It's so easy to tell the story of Jesus. It feels so absolutely impossible to enact the story of Jesus. And yet Paul's vision for the church, what he imagined the church being a space it was a space in which enactment happened. We didn't just tell the story over and over again. We enacted the story over and over again. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet, but yours. The gospel reading that we read this morning is really beautiful, isn't it? Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Enact something. And the enactment that he imagines, he tells us about at the end of that statement. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Ask the Father in my name and by the Spirit, he will do it. Live in my love. Express my love in your mutual slavery one to another. These are the things that Paul gives us to think about and chew on as we go into our week this week. As you go home, as you interact with your family or your friends or your roommates, as you go to work tomorrow and, or you go to class tomorrow and you're around colleagues or students or whoever your weekly day is sort of comprised of, how will you love them? How will you enact the love of Jesus toward those persons? That's the calling that he places on our lives. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that in Jesus Christ you free us from comparison, critique, and condemnation. And rather, in Jesus Christ, you lift us up into the very family of God that we might know ourselves as beloved children of God. So would you, by your Holy Spirit, enable each of us to confess that Jesus has brought us into your family and to cry out, Abba, Father. And particularly in all of those spaces of life that we find love so impossible. Help us there to remember the love with which you've loved us. So that in all of those interactions, wherever they are, however easy or difficult we find them to be, the echo of Jesus' love for us would manifest itself in our own bodies, our own thoughts, our own actions. Meet us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.